2021 was a wild and wacky year for everybody, but especially the soccer slash footballing world. So we figured that, you know, we'd recap it. We talk about all the crazy things that happened in 2021 off the field and on the field in America and abroad in Europe and beyond. So stick around for this amazing deep dive episode. Go ahead and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast if you enjoy the show. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Those links will be down below. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It's a very special end of the year uh, Thursday deep dive episode from us where we cover one special topic in the soccer footballing world as always my name is aj tabura i'm one of your co-hosts i've been gone for well we didn't record last thursday so i guess i've been gone for more than a week and a half and as always i'm joined by jack jack how are you doing uh i see that chelsea uh, didn't play too well so i guess you can't be too happy uh i i i'm not that happy about that but you know it is the holiday season it so it, it 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 feels okay it feels yeah. okay yeah yeah, I mean, happy holidays to all of our listeners. Um, a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. That, that was that was recently uh, a thing. Happy New Year. That's coming up uh, at the time of recording. Uh, it'll be, what, three days away. Uh, and when this comes out, it'll just be two short days away from uh, 2022, which is exactly what we'll be talking about here. Uh, Jack, before we get started talking about our topic, which is recapping 2021 in the, the the lens of the soccer footballing world i want to hear uh, what's one of your personal new year's resolutions for 2022 you have one i don't usually make them because they usually end up not happening um right. but i guess if i was to come up with one i would say to be a bit more adventurous in cooking and uh, okay. trying some new recipes i got a cookbook and some new kitchen equipment for uh christmas so we're, we're gonna see if i can make some new recipes all right nice everyone if you have any recipes please at us at final third show on twitter i'm sure jack would love to hear whatever uh, grandma's recipe is that you have uh, uh, you know up his repertoire for me personally uh when we talk about new year's resolutions i Back in the day, Jack, I'm sure you remember, I, I used to post a lot of videos uh, about urban planning. I'm a civil engineering and urban planning student at uh, our university, and I, I used to post a lot of uh, urban studies related uh, videos surrounding public transportation, which is one of you know the things I'm going to go into once I you know get a job and graduate college. And I, I really want to get back into that because I missed video creating, and I I definitely want to do that so i'm gonna to plan to make that a regular thing uh so on top of having this podcast two part-time jobs you know having a engineering school and a girlfriend and my friends uh, i'll have another passion project to take on so i, I i'll be busy but of course this podcast always top priority always always the best thing <laughs> most important thing of the week jack before we move on to 2022, let's talk about 2021 in the soccer world. Everyone, I already mentioned it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. If you want to, you know, talk soccer with us, I'm sure we'd love to talk uh, some soccer, talk some of the New Year's games that are coming up with you. So go ahead and do that. And yeah, Jack, 
2021 was an interesting year, to say the least, would you say? Yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in, term, in terms of, of soccer, how, how would you rate this year in terms of eventfulness, entertainment? Uh, I mean, as a Chelsea fan, I'd, I'd give it like a nine. Uh, okay, okay. A, a nine, you know. I've seen your team win the Champions League and your women's team make it to the finals of the Champions League. Can't complain too much about things. Uh, it, but I think from a neutral perspective, probably like probably like an eight or nine as well. There were a few things that weren't as exciting as always, but there was a lot of excitement to be had for all soccer fans. Yes, there was. And let's get into it. Jack, we have we got 16 things that we have kind of written up in a list. Uh, you know, these 16 things are either eventful, memorable, exciting, or kind of more somber but important things to remember that came out of this year that have happened in uh, the footballing world, whether it be off the field or on the field. Uh, 16 things I think it's important for us to remember fondly or unfondly on as we move on to this new year. Uh, we are American-based, so we will talk about some MLS, NWSL, and U.S. soccer. But of course, this is also just a general footballing podcast. We'll talk about Europe, uh, Africa, a Asia, the, the Olympics. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it all. So I have a spin the wheel here where uh, 1 through 16. Uh, I'm going to spin it, and Jack, I will have you lead us into our, our first topic. This uh, wheel is taking a very long time to spin. Yeah, uh, We're going uh, with uh, number three, which is underdogs win major leagues, major titles in Europe. Jack, why don't you walk us through some, uh, some upsets in the leagues in Europe? Yeah, well, like I said, this was an exciting year to be a neutral fan, even if you weren't a fan of any particular team in a particular league. Chances are you were pretty excited with the results. You know, we had some major upsets in Ligue 1, where PSG had won year after year after year. Lille came up out of seemingly nowhere and won Ligue 1 the, this past yeah, season, which was pretty cool for them. That team promptly fell apart with uh, their coach leaving <laughs> yeah. and several other important players leaving to go play elsewhere. But it still was a pretty exciting end of the season there. And kind of showed some warning signs for PSG, which have now been extinguished. Any of fires there. Uh, <sighs> we, we also had some excitement in La Liga, where Atletico Madrid wins the league over Real Madrid and Barcelona. They had an impressive run where they didn't lose a single game for like the first half of the season. And it looked like they, they could like go almost invincible. They didn't, but they did do very well over the course of the season. They fixed a lot of issues which have seemingly come back. Uh, so, but they were definitely powered by the acquisition of Luis Suarez for sure. Uh, that was that was a huge boost for them, who got twenty one goals over the course of that season. So, really good for them. We also had Inter Milan beat Juventus to the Serie A title, and AC Milan, who were also resurgent. You know. Both of the Milan teams had a big resurgence, but Inter Milan came out on top, powered through with the strike force of Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku. And, you know, they, they were very solid and continue to be very solid in Serie A. 
we're seeing a resurgence of Inter Milan, which is definitely having a lot of those fans very excited for the future. Despite losing Romelu Lukaku, the, the future looks bright for them. And finally, we had another big, well, maybe not as big of an underdog story since this league tends to be a two-team league, but Rangers beat Celtic to the title this past season in the Scottish Premiership. Really good for them. Steven Gerrard helped them get through that and uh, has been rewarded by getting to manage Aston Villa, which yeah. I, I uh, hate Aston Villa personally, <laughs> but it's a move up to the Premier League, so good for him. Uh, Rangers were pretty impressive in the Europa League as well last season, but overall a very good season for the Scottish side. Yeah. Who Inv- Invincible season, actually. Exactly. That. That's that's the big thing that I that I almost forgot to mention yeah. there. That's that's a big thing. AJ, and, any anything oh yeah. to add on top of of those? Yeah, well, I'll add a little bit to the Rangers. Uh, I, I think a, a very big deal that, you know, seldom gets talked about in terms of, you know, the, the mainstream soccer media MSM uh, is really the fact that Rangers stopped Celtic. It's not just them winning. It's the fact that they stopped Celtic from winning 10 titles in a row. Uh, stop them in their tracks and, you know, got the invincible season. Very good job. Surely will be memorable. Uh, some other uh, teams titles that I have to kind of shout out. One of them has to be Leicester City winning their, I think, first FA Cup and uh, second, so. tr- yeah. second trophy since uh, their their Premier League uh, upset in 2016. So really big a win for them. Jack, I'm sure as a Chelsea fan, that's something you kind of want to want to forget but yeah you know, yep every day Im- Im- impressive win nonetheless if you had to if you had to lose against one team you know Leicester's not a terrible team to no, lose it, against it was right? terrible it was terrible okay. to me right. but, uh, right. but you know uh, and, and another upset we'll talk about a little bit later but it will be Villarreal winning the Europa League becoming a, a, one of one of a long list of Spanish teams to win a European a title and their first uh major title in Europe, so very impressive from them. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Jack, let's move on to the next topic, which happens to be uh, the manager shuffle that plagued Europe, but also gave us a lot of talking points throughout the summer and throughout the fall. Uh, Jack, do you want to you know list out some of your, your favorite uh, manager hirings, or maybe not favorite, but the ones that you uh, thought were very, very exciting? Well, let me start with my favorite one, which is Thomas Tuchel to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he might have had a slower, a slower end to this year, but there's yeah. no doubt that he has transformed Chelsea. One home win uh, since October is what the stat I, that uh, I saw. But, but, but not many home losses either. So <laughs> I, that, that is true. That is true. Yeah, it's true. It, it's it, but, um, you know, I, I have to mention him winning the Champions League with Chelsea huge huge accomplishment especially since frank lampard was insistent that that team was not ready to win or challenge for trophies uh so proved him wrong uh and also got some revenge after being uh knocked out of the champions league at the final stage uh by bayern munich the year before so very cool for him great manager uh love watching him on the touchline he 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 acts like how i do uh which is what i like to see so We've got that one. We've got Mourinho going to Roma, where he has been a polarizing figure, to say the yeah. very least. Uh, 
but he has helped Roma kind of get on a bit of a resurgence. Still not looking likely to get into the Champions League, but still looking decent enough. We also have Carlo Ancelotti returning to Real Madrid. That's Doing a great, great this season. Yeah, they're they're crushing it. I I was kind of worried about that one. I was like, Ancelotti, really? He he wasn't great at Everton. I was like, could he be past his best? Nope. Silenced me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, I, I I remember I ex- exactly remember saying this to you when we talked about this, but it was Everton. To be fair, it was Everton. Like An- Ancelotti still work world class. Real Madrid are leading La Liga. So, you know, all I'm going to say is I told you so. <laughs> well, let's let, let's talk about another one, one of those big transfers in La Liga, yeah. which is Xavi coming back to manage Barcelona and Komen leaving. So one Barca legend leaves for another. Uh, so very interesting to see that happening. We we I don't think he has had enough time for us to make like an actual assessment of if he's good or not, but he has some promising signs. Yeah, I'd say. Still not the the, the best start to his career. Uh, you know, he, he's had some pretty nasty draws, a, a pretty uh, lackluster uh, loss that that was also in there. Uh, they are, you know, Barcelona and Xavi are on the younger side, you know, signing a bunch of young players, most recently Ferran Torres from Manchester City, building a very young core of the likes of Gavi, Pedri, Dest, even though he might be on his way out. So there's a lot of promise coming from Xavi and Barcelona. I thought it was an interesting hire. Jack, I'm forgetting if you approved of this hire at, at the time. Uh, what did you think of that? Uh, at the time, I'm still worried about the financial implications, and I have no idea where Barcelona keep getting money from. Uh, like, yeah. I don't know where the money came from to sign Ferran Torres. It's it's a monopoly money at this point. It really is. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's real. It's definitely been long. It, or never mind. I'm not going to say anything like that. It's it, it may or may not exist. The money. Yeah, we'll, we'll just yeah. say that. Yeah. And and what other managers uh, uh, do you want to highlight at all? Well, I think Hansi Flick has to be mentioned for the German national team. You know, after Germany's disappointing, disappointing ish. Uh, experience at the Euros where they got knocked out by England in the round of 16. You know, uh, it wasn't looking that great for them, but Hansi Flick came in and turned them into a winning machine. I don't think they've lost since he came in. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure they haven't lost since he joined up. So very good by them. You know, uh, it, it's, it, it's clear that he was ready for the challenge and, uh, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing how Germany do in the future because they pulled off some impressive games uh, here and there. So I'm, I'm going to be excited to see that. We also have uh, Julian Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich, who took over, of course, from uh, Hansi Flick. Very good managerial hire, it looks like so far. I was kind of concerned at the beginning of the season for Bayern <laughs> after he, it looked like he was going on a losing run or a not winning run at least uh but he's turned it around and they're top of their top of the bundesliga i mean to be fair with Bayern's squad they should be on top of the bundesliga but right. still uh still impressive nonetheless and uh i think we should we should also probably highlight conte and ragnick going to tottenham and manchester united 
new projects for both of these clubs. We'll see how far they're able to go. Um, Manchester United, I'm not sure if Ragnick is the right steadying approach to uh, to get them back up to the top, but he, he'll at least be a stabilizing presence for about a half of a season. And Conte, yeah. though, that that's a good hiring. And Spurs are looking all right. They got yeah. knocked out of the Conference League, yes, but they're looking fine enough. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that I am... I brought back Sun into my fantasy Premier League team, and I'm thinking about adding Kane. I think that tells you enough about how Conte has kind of turned around Tottenham. Yes, a good amount of their most recent wins have been against kind of subpar opponents, and as we move on, they'll be going against even stronger opponents. But Conte, as a whole, I think really steps up this Tottenham team for for the better. I, I don't know if you can really say this, say the same about Allegri to Juventus, which Jack, I, I'm sure you are happy to hear that Juventus still, still are not doing great. I, I don't even know where they are on the, in the Serie A table. Not in the guess, top four. Yeah. And that's what matters. That, that is true. That is definitely true. Jack, wh- wh- where are Allegri and Juventus? They are in fifth place. Okay. Uh, they're only four points outside of the top four, but, Nonetheless, outside of the top four, and that is good enough for me. I, I, I don't really know what, what's gone wrong for Allegri. Well, I, I guess I, I kind of do. You know, we, we've harped on, on their midfield. I, I just think that a, a lot of their players aren't up to snuff, up to speed. And when, when you look at the quality in coaching, quality of players in, in the top four with Inter, AC Milan, Napoli, and Atlanta, I just think that Juve, for the time being, are just a step below, even though, you know, they are on good form. But unfortunately, some of their bad form at the beginning of the season has really held them back. Jack, what are your completely unbiased opinions on Juve? Uh, They're all right, but they're not what they used to be. And if I say any more, I'll drift into bias territory. And <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's what that's what the most I can say. They're inconsistent, really. Uh, they can have really good results and then lose to a newly promoted side the next week. So I, I, I don't know exactly what it is that makes them this way, but they've got to fix something with, with them. Uh, they definitely need some midfield reinforcements this January. In terms of uh, major exits that we have covered here on the podcast, uh, we talked about Mourinho leaving Tottenham uh, last season. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we had a, a very long saga covering him on his way out. Ron Koeman, same thing uh, with uh, Barcelona. Zidane with Real Madrid. Pirlo uh, with Juventus. Uh, yeah, Jack, am I forgetting anyone that, that uh, has been fired that we, that we had a, a large coverage of? Uh, I mean, I guess you could add in Nuno Espirito Santo for Tottenham, yeah. but he was there for what three months really so uh i i i don't think it's it's worth it's not worth mentioning him that much i think uh unfortunately for him because he is a decent coach uh just did not fit the style that Tottenham needed to play yeah i i guess we can mention frank de boer who i think got fired by the netherlands is that true i i, I think I'm... i think the official word is that he left on his own accord 
Oh, okay. But yeah. I don't think that's true, especially after that Euro performance. I I don't think that's quite right. Okay, all right. Well, we are we also cover that. So a lot of uh, managers moving around there. All right. So uh, the next thing that we could talk about is, well, I guess I'll, I'll handle this. It's the U.S. men's national team beating Mexico three times in one calendar year. First time in like sixty something years that a team in this particular series, USA versus Mexico beat the other team three times in a calendar year. And this came from the Nations League, Gold Cup, and uh, World Cup qualifying in that order. Very different players each time. Yes, all three games were in the United States, but just the fact that the U.S. men's national team beat Mexico three times in a row in one calendar year kind of begins to show a little bit of a changing of a guard in terms of CONCACAF major powers. And it really tells you the young hungry talent on this usa team is there and it's really really exciting in the nation's league we had very close to our a team uh that was only a four team tournament so just got through the semifinals and into the final or faced mexico but you know people remember the great goals that came there uh reina scoring uh, his first goal uh in front of that that great crowd in uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. where was Denver. the final of that denver denver yes yes the the, the, the mile high stadium of course yes uh we had uh pulisic scoring that penalty uh the second goal was mckenny of course scoring that header and who can ever forget ethan horvath subbing in uh for the injured zach stefan making that penalty save on gordado really just a, a gritty win really cool in the gold cup larger run-up a lot of MLS players, some MLS players that kind of made a name for themselves there. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but a huge, huge win over Mexico, a Miles Robinson uh, header at the, the pretty much the last minute right before uh, penalties are supposed to happen to win it. Crazy, crazy game. And then World Cup qualifying uh, and Gold Cup, I should say, uh, was at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. World Cup qualifying in uh, Cincinnati at home. Really important game. You always have to win it. And it was a Dosacero. It was Pulisic and then McKenney. Not our total A team because we were missing the likes of, you know, John Brooks and Giorena. But, you know, despite the different looks every single time and despite Mexico having pretty close to an A team every single time, we came out on top looking more and more comfortable every single time we faced them. Really, really encouraging uh, from the U.S. men's national team. And yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Uh, so, Jack, do you want to take us uh, to the next thing, which will be COVID-19 affecting different competitions this year? Ah, uh, Yes, we've talked about this one quite a bit, but COVID-19 has affected, well, not just the soccer world, but the entire world. And so it's only fitting that we talk about its effect on all the different competitions. Earlier in the year, we saw a bunch of Champions League games have to be moved. You know, there were uh, there were uh, games uh, that had to be played in neutral venues. Chelsea versus Atletico had to be played in, I believe, Hungary. Uh, and um, then we had Liverpool versus Leipzig having to be played, I believe, also in Hungary. Uh, Hungary kind of just became the central location for all Champions League neutral grounds. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, a good thing, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not so sure about it either. Um, but given UEFA's rocky record with human rights, uh, I, it kind of fits their brand. So, um, But 
we we saw a lot of games getting moved to those neutral venues because it just wasn't safe for uh countries to or teams to travel to other countries especially england which was a big hot spot in march and spain was a huge hot spot although mm-hmm. i'm not sure how moving the teams really uh changes that <laughs> because they're still traveling but you know it, it was it was an attempt it was an attempt uh we also saw a lot of efforts over the summer about getting vaccinations up and everything for players uh that happened in some leagues to a greater extent than others yes uh the premier league still lags behind quite a bit which now we're seeing the effects of that mm-hmm. with several like i mean i think uh two-thirds of the games in the in the in england in all of the top four leagues were canceled uh that were supposed to be played today and that's been a common trend that we keep seeing so COVID is affecting a lot of a, a lot a lot of things and it's probably going to continue to do that we also of course how can i forget no fans in stadiums for a good part of the year they started to return in may uh but up before then no fans in stadiums so it was a very different look for teams we saw kind of predictably a, a increase in away wins so that that was a, that was a bit of an interesting thing for mm-hmm. uh all the stats nerds out there like <laughs> me I, i'm calling myself out with that but uh still it, there there was a lot of things that had to be changed aj anything that you would add on that yeah, on the topic of fans not being in stadiums, we are seeing at least a little bit of a movement back towards that, uh, whether that be in uh, the, the the Premier League or m- most recently, what I can remember is in Germany. Uh, there are good, uh, there are a good amount of fans who are a good amount of games, I should say, that have had limited fan capacity, uh, 50% or less. So we're mo- we might be moving back to that. Hopefully not. Uh, but uh, in, in large scale, look at COVID, it's moved around a lot of competitions, particularly the ones in 2020, whether it's uh, the Olympics uh, from 2020 getting moved to 2021, uh, the Euro tournament. We still called it Euro 2020, even though it was, you know, not played in 2020. Nations League as well. Uh, Copa America. And I should say Nations League in terms of UEFA and I believe uh CONCACAF in some shape or form had to be moved CONCACAF moved an entire year uh the UEFA Nations League I believe had to be moved to October in order to accommodate for the Euro tournament uh as I mentioned before Copa America it was originally set to be played in Argentina and Colombia but right at you know the last month Argentina and Colombia became a hot spot for COVID and it got moved to Brazil behind closed doors and most recently, uh, AFCON was at risk of being canceled due to COVID. Originally had to be postponed to 2022 because of the 2021 uh, schedule just didn't work out with all, all the COVID stuff happening. So uh, a, a lot of postponements, not just the games, but entire competitions as well. Uh, so there, there's that. Obviously not something that, that you really like to see, but you know... Uh, it, it, it's just the way that life is at this point. Jack, anything to say about COVID before we move on to our next topic? Uh, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. And if, yeah. you're, if you're interested in hearing more in-depth takes about that, you can check out pretty much any of the last few episodes that we've done because I'm That's pretty true. sure most of them include a discussion about it. So, yeah. Yeah. 
let's move on to our next topic, which is quite, quite the handful in terms of controversy. It's the Super League, and later on in the year, the Biennial World Cup, proposed by uh, the, the big clubs in Europe, and with the Biennial World Cup, FIFA. So, Jack, we had a series of episodes about the Super League when it happened. Why don't you talk me through uh, what happened there and uh, how it affects us even now at the end of the year? Yeah, well, we had 12 clubs in three different leagues that were looking at breaking away from their home leagues or not breaking away, as they would like you to say, (laughs) uh, making a new Champions League, essentially. So that included the big six from England. Chelsea, Man City, Man U, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Arsenal, as well as uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid from La Liga. And then finally, to round out that list, we had Inter Milan, AC Milan, and Juventus. Good job. Who all all joined in. I I had to think about it for a second there. But they were proposing a pretty much closed off Champions League format where they would play each other uh in like a full season and there would be no relegation no promotion to it you they would invite a few clubs every year yeah. in order to in in order to experience some some games with the big dogs you know 15 uh, permanent members and then exactly. five flex spots right and, and they, they even left the the european club association uh in preparation for this like it, it was it was a big deal yeah and there there was a lot of concern with this because uh a lot of leagues saw this as ruining any chance of like real competition a lot of lower leagues especially were concerned about it because it it ruins a lot of financial stability especially of those leagues uh but we did have a bunch of other teams that stood up against it and a lot of players as well who stood up and spoke out against it liverpool's players including jordan henderson were vocal about this uh happening bernardo silva tweeted about it as well saying that it's uh basically saying i do not know why uh, i do not know why they have more competitions seems dumb to me uh and then we, <laughs> that's the most bernardo silva it is tweet it, ever. it definitely is uh and we we got you know uh clubs like bayern munich dortmund surprisingly psg yeah, uh weird. standing up yeah standing up against all of this kind of stuff and miraculously this collapsed in a matter of two days uh, oh. with Chelsea and Manchester City being the first two to defect from it. However, that still kind of lives on to this day. I believe technically Real Madrid, Juventus, and Barcelona haven't technically left it. So it still kind of exists in some form. Uh, whether it'll actually come back and haunt the football world again, uh, who knows? I hope not, but it it was a lot of outpouring of support, and I've got it. And I I also have to say the fans as well were mm-hmm. huge on this. Uh, I I remember we were recording an episode right as this was like collapsing, really, and it was ironically a game. The game before uh, the game was Chelsea versus Brighton that was about to be played, with thousands of fans gathering in front of it to say, "Hey, we don't want a Super League." And I remember Petr Cech coming through and saying. You 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 can relax now. It's done. The Super League's gone, and hey. uh, you know Petr Cech can save shots. He can save penalties, and he can save football. I guess there we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
AJ, what did you want to add on to the Super League and talk about the biennial World Cup? Yes, of course, because those are my two favorite things in football. Uh, biennial World Cup and the Super League. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I think. I, I think the Super League taught us a lot about the state of soccer. And if you want to learn more about that, you can listen to our like two or three deep dives we did on it back in April. But I think it shows the power of the quote unquote legacy fan and the power that fan protest and fan pressure could bring. Uh, on May 2nd, 2021, we saw Manchester United have their Glazers out protest where they pretty much shut down uh, the Manchester United Liverpool game that was supposed to happen. And that pressured Ed Woodward to set down that pressured United and other clubs to back out of uh, the Super League. So that, it, that was a, a huge, huge deal and kind of shows that if fans pressure and continue to pressure and continue to boycott and hate their owners, they can actually get some change. And I actually do think that this Super League kind of is indicative of a larger problem beyond just greed and that there is some financial instability within these big clubs. It's a reason why Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus are still weirdly technically in the Super League is because there's still this financial bubble where overspeculation, overspending is causing massive, massive debt for these clubs. And weirdly enough, creating a, a, break, a breakaway league where they can control their finances is one of, if not the only way that they can still be competitive while at the same time maintaining a healthy financial relationship with their their loanies, their banks. And and that's really scary when you look at how fragile football could be financially. And it kind of shows this year especially just how fragile all of our competitions are at the snap of a finger. Clubs can break away. Clubs can do what's best for them and them alone, even if it means hurting everybody else. So, you know, a, a lot's on this on the line in 2021. More is going to be on the line in 2022 as the Biennial World Cup might be looked at. Uh, Infantino, the FIFA president, didn't really say this is going to be a thing, but kind of alluded to the potential of a Biennial World Cup being looked at, where instead of a World Cup being every four years after 2026 or so it'll be moved to every two years now there's concerns about that on everyone's uh minds obviously there's the player health aspect where players don't really get summers off at all anymore and this kind of adds to that uh, more world cup qualifiers are going to need to be played uh it might water down the world cup a little bit and also for probably more importantly for confederations and fa's like you know, the Premier League, uh, the English FA, UEFA, CONMEBOL, CONCACAF, it means less money for them because they can't run their local tournaments that are very historical, that people love, and instead it's going to be the Biennial World Cup every two years instead of the Euros or the Copa America. And even though FIFA is having polls where it says that, oh, actually 86% of football fans are would literally kill someone for a biennial world cup that's how much they love it it's pretty clear that this is fifa trying to strong arm their way into somehow walking into a literal billion dollar proposal which is the biennial world cup we'll see how this evolves further in 2022 but jack what 
what were your thoughts about the Pioneer World Cup? We also had a deep dive on that uh, this past fall. So if you want to listen to that, feel free to do that. But Jack, has your opinion changed on the Pioneer World Cup at all? No, it's still bad. Uh, okay. that, that, that's, that's about it. It's not a good idea. It's all about the money. That, that's it. Uh, <sighs> I, I don't think it's a good idea. The World Jack. Cup should be special. Jack, it always was a bad idea. It always <laughs> will be. Even though I, I did defend it, I did play devil's advocate. Uh, I, I still think there's ways to rework it to be good, but what Infantino is saying is not exactly what you want to be hearing. But from one international tournament, the World Cup, to some other ones, 2021 was an amazing year for international tournaments. Probably because uh, at least half of them were postponed from 2020 to 2021. So we just had the most condensed year for international greatness from the Euros, Copa America, Nations League Olympics, Arab Cup, which just wrapped up. Jack, why don't you walk us through some of, honestly, the greatest international tournaments that I, I've seen in my lifetime. I'm still young, so it's kind of a hyperbole, <laughs> but whatever. Go ahead. Uh, well... There were a lot of international tournaments that that we had uh, to see. So we saw the Euros, of course. Italy ended up winning that in a penalty shootout against England. Uh, three to four, I believe, was the final uh, scoreline of that penalty shootout with England missing the last three penalty kicks in that one. Uh, it, it was, it was a, an impressive display by Italy, which they followed up by getting uh, nearly eliminated from the World Cup uh, the next year. So that 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 was good for them. Uh, but still, it, it was definitely very cool for Italy, whereas heartbreak continues on for England uh, as they failed to win another international tournament, despite making it so close. Uh, we also had I, the, the tournament that I, I watched quite a bit of the Copa America, Argentina winning the Copa America, Lionel Messi fulfilling the prophecy uh, yeah. Some might say that he would bring an international victory to Argentina, came close with the World Cup in 2014, came close with the Copa America several times. But this time was huge because not only did he win the Copa America, and I do say that Messi won the Copa America despite not scoring in the final, still was player of the tournament, highest score, most assists, MVP, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Argentina won the Copa America against Brazil in Brazil, which I, I, I believe had never been done before. So that, that's pretty big uh, that they were able to do that. Very impressive performance all the way through. Argentina definitely look like a much better team than they, than they did at the 2018 World Cup. I'll say that. I'll say that much. Uh, so that, that was definitely very exciting. Great for Lionel Messi. Great for Argentina in general. We also had a good, a good result that I was very happy about, which is France winning the Nations League against Spain. Ooh. Yeah, I know you're not that happy about it, but I, I, was, I was pretty stoked about this one. Uh, I was watching, I, I remember watching this one with uh, our, our good friend Reed, friend of the podcast, who's been on here a few times. Uh, and that, that, that was a good time for sure to watch France win the Nations League off of an Mbappe goal, which is a bit controversial. Uh, we, I'm we still talk. mad about that. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm definitely uh, okay of with you it. Are. Uh, but, yep, France redeemed themselves after disaster, really, at the Euros. 
uh, I wasn't able to watch that game because I was on a mountain in Colorado. So uh, there we go. I, I'm glad I'm glad I missed that one and did not miss the Nations League one. And then we had Algeria winning the first FIFA Arab Cup. The Arab Cup has happened a few times before, but this was the first one that was done and sponsored by FIFA. Algeria were able to win this one. I believe it was on penalty kicks. Uh, no, wait, they, they won after extra time. They, they, yes. they won out they, <laughs> either way. They won after extra time, whether it was on penalty kicks or in regular time. Algeria still came out on top. They're definitely a big, uh, a big threat going into the World Cup. As long as they qualify, I'm pretty sure they will. But they've got some really strong names and some really a really strong team. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to make any waves at the at the World Cup in 2022 because they they were quite impressive in that tournament. Uh and then of course we have to talk about the Olympics, but specifically the women's soccer at the Olympics because the Canadian women's team finally, finally. gets gold. Finally even even though like uh you know we're we're US fans we we were pretty happy to see Canada win because yeah. they they do they do deserve this. They've gotten so far in the Olympics so many times they 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 have some solid players a very good team sinclair finally it. gets her international trophy exactly yep it 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 was it was kind of deserved it, it, i mean it was more than deserved honestly they put up a great performance throughout the entire olympics uh and it, they were they were definitely rewarded with it whereas the u.s women's team was not uh nope, as they terrible. as they got third place after they took a very very old squad they brought the retirement home uh to the olympics basically <laughs> uh but it, it definitely showed that uh it, it's kind of the end of the era for a lot of those old players and mm -hmm. hopefully we'll bring in some new ones with that yeah I, I i'll only mention a couple things uh algeria winning the arab cup is really exciting uh you mentioned them being pretty good contenders for the world cup I think they'll be great contenders for AFCON, which is, which That's is true. That, that something we'll first. be previewing, uh, I believe, next week. I think that'll be very exciting. Uh, they have Saeed Ben-Rama on their team, and I'm very excited to see him play. Uh, for the Euros, and we could talk about the Euros all day, but there are some moments that I definitely want to highlight. Uh, Italy as a whole had a great run, great final, very defensively stout. Uh, Switzerland versus France was a really fun game, Jack. Uh, you mentioned being on a mound for that. I think summer... Yep. Their goalkeeper really came up big against France and a uh, good run that they had. Uh, the, the underdogs, apparently, not, not exactly underdogs, more like uh, dead dogs. It was Turkey who got yeah. zero points and had a terrible, terrible goal difference. I thought that was pretty funny. The Patrick Schick. Yeah, the I was about to say Patrick Schick, halfway line goal. That 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 will go down as one of the best tur goals in just Euro history. I think exactly uh, one of the oldest players in Euro history Pandev for uh, North Macedonia I thought that was a, a really fun story as well we'll talk about Christian Eriksen in his own section because that, that's a very important uh, story that we can't just gloss over but also I, I do want to mention uh, the three penalty takers that missed for uh, England who I believe would be Saka Help me out here, Jack. Was Saka, it Rashford? Sancho, and Rashford. Okay, Saka, Sancho, and Rashford, right. They missed uh, their penalty kicks, unfortunately, for England. They were subject to a lot of racial abuse, but uh, in turn, 
they were also uh, heralded as, rightfully so, uh, English heroes that got them to the final in Wembley. And uh, a lot of love and uh, anti-racism movements uh, were born out of that, were uh, extended from that. And so I'm really happy that through the darkness, some light was able to be uh, put on that situation. And the footballing, the good side of the footballing world was able to come together to try to protect them uh, the best that they could. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next news story, Jack. Uh, uh, speaking of the Olympics, uh, U.S. men's national team failed to make the Olympics Ooh. for the third consecutive time. I thought we'd get a happier story, but instead we get more sadness. So uh, the U.S. men's national team, the U23 team, uh, is who the men's team sends to the Olympics. And well, would send to the Olympics. W- would send <laughs> to the Olympics if they made it. They have not made it since 2008. 2012, 2016, and now 2020 all failed to make it. We took, uh, I don't even want uh, to, to, to mention uh, the, the cursed name uh, who, who coached us there because really it, it was a bad, uncreative team. Yes, it had to be mostly MLS stars, but they were missing a good amount of young MLS talent, one of them being uh, Eric Williamson who I'm still mad about not getting called up. I think we would have won if we had the likes of Eric Williamson and others uh, there. Uh, but we failed. We lost to a Honduras really painful, painfully in that semifinal. Jackson Ewell had quite the screamer, but that was not enough to win it uh, for uh, the USA. And they had to win that semifinal to be one of the two CONCACAF teams to qualify for the Olympics. And they didn't. And I remember Jack and I and Logan, who was uh, on, on the podcast, we all freaked out about it after it happened. And it was very sad. It was a very sad, dark day. Uh, but we move on. And hopefully uh, this coming cycle, our U20, U23 team can qualify and break this uh, seemingly unbreakable curse. So, yes, uh, unfortunately, 2021 was had some sadness on the field and that would be USA not making the Olympics. Or maybe if you're in Mexico, you'll be fine with that. <laughs> but let's talk about some off-the-field news, Jack, unless you have something to say about the Olympics. Uh, no, not really. I mean, it was, it was not a good performance. I, I should say uh, Brazil did win gold for uh, the men's side in the Olympics. Let's move on to some off-the-field news, uh, which is the big, big transfers that have happened uh, this year. Some, uh, some transfer sagas. Some have worked out in clubs' favors, some uh, have not. So, Jack, why don't you walk me through uh, this year's, this summer's, really, biggest transfers in the soccer world? Yeah, well, uh, Ronaldo and Messi are the headliners for this one. I've never heard of them. Yeah, I know, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're two random unknown. There's some young guys, uh, some uh, who are exactly. just starting out. Uh, but, no, of, cor- of course, uh, you know, Lionel Messi leaves Barcelona after... 15 16 years yeah long time his entire pretty much his entire professional career uh he leaves barcelona as a legend and goes to psg where he hasn't had the greatest of times in the domestic league but in the champions league he's still performing pretty well for psg uh ronaldo went from juventus where maybe not as much of a legend as he was at real madrid and returns to uh manchester united where he he's he's been all right 
but he kind of I, I still think he kind of derailed Manchester United season uh, by he's more of a PR signing than anything else. It feels like at this point, Oof. but he, he was very vital in their Champions League's uh, group stage success. So I'll give him that. But I, I can't help but feel like he kind of destroyed any plans OGS had for Manchester United. Uh, but that that's that's how it goes sometimes. Uh Speaking of United, Jaden Sancho made a long-awaited move to Manchester United. Seems like this has been a transfer saga for literal decades. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it's been it's been about two or three years in the making. But Jaden Sancho does return to England uh, to the other side of Manchester. He was a Manchester City Youth Academy hmm. player, and so he actually goes to United, where he has not had the best of times. Uh, if I'm being honest, he's scored. I believe two goals for them so far. Uh, definitely not hitting the Bundesliga heights. We've seen this before where players come in from the Bundesliga and don't quite hit the same levels of success. Uh, oh yeah, I really first... like who, Jack? Like who? Huh. Uh, maybe like Timo Werner. Uh, mm, and yeah. <laughs> maybe Kai Havertz a little bit. But, you know, I, I, I digress. Either way, Manchester United's transfers haven't been exactly on point this season. No. Uh we do have uh, another Manchester-based transfer with, with Jack Grealish becoming the largest transfer for an English player with over £100 million being spent uh, to bring him to Manchester City from Aston Villa. He's been decent, maybe not as spectacular now that he's playing on a team of stars, but he is still a decent enough player. It's, it's just that can't seem to get a constant string of games in there in that side which to be fair is very difficult to do when you look at who he's competing against we also have of course transfer i'm i'm very fond of romelu lukaku to chelsea people were kind of bantering him at the beginning of the season like oh he went 10 games without scoring a goal his last four games he's scored three goals yeah scored today Uh, yeah scored today uh he, he, he's been pretty good since coming back from injury. He, he's been pretty good overall. He's scored three goals in two games against Aston Villa this season, which makes me very happy because uh, listeners will know I do not like Aston Villa. So it makes me very happy when, uh, when they get scored against. Uh, so that, that was very good. And then finally, we have an out, outside of Europe transfer which I think is a pretty big deal, which is Lorenzo Insigne to Toronto FC. Let's go. I don't think this is confirmed entirely yet. yet, but it's pretty, it's pretty much guaranteed to happen, it seems, at this point. He's going to be the highest paid player by a country mile in MLS. Like, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I think $11 million per year yeah. is what he's going to be making. He, he, if he played in the NFL, he, I think, would be in the top 20 in terms of player compensation. Wow. And the NFL, players get paid there. So that's it, it's a it's a really big deal that this is happening. Yeah. And the NFL players also get uh, paid for not being that good. Cough, cough, Kirk Cousins. Uh, oh, but oh, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to throw in a dig okay. at the Vikings. All right, there. All right. you, gave, you gave me the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, he that would be a huge deal. Uh, like Sebastian Giovinco was a big transfer yes, for Toronto. Absolutely. But this could be even bigger because this is like a player in his prime who just won an international tournament and was one of the players of the tournament. 
with that with that winning nation. Uh, so this this could be like huge. This isn't like a retirement type signing. This is an actual big name signing mm-hmm. where a player is signing in their prime to play in MLS. So this could be a big watershed moment for the league. This is someone who, if you know soccer, you know he's good. You know he's still good. Pretty big. And this might be a 2022 transfer because I highly doubt that this can get done in the next three days. But, you know, yeah. pretty exciting. And that's really all you got to say about those transfers. I know there's we, we've covered a lot, a lot of transfers, but those are some of the the major ones that have been transfer sagas. The next us thing that we'll talk about is BS men's national team and the breakout stars that really hit the ground running here in 2021. Uh, Matthew Hoppy, uh, originally from Ashalka, moved to Mallorca because Schalke got uh, relegated, became, I believe, the youngest American, or youngest maybe in Bundesliga player to ever score a hat-trick. He went on a crazy run, scoring like five goals in three games for Ashalka back in January. Kind of tapered off, uh, still really effective, especially in the Gold Cup. In Mallorca, in, in La Liga, hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time, hasn't really you know impressed, but still a really good winger slash striker option for the Osmonds national team. Ricardo Pepe, you know, young player of the year in, in MLS, scored a ton, uh, scored for the Osmonds national team. And at 18 from FC Dallas, like he is a talent to watch, a striker to watch, uh, really attracting uh, uh, fans and uh, suitors from all over Europe. So he is a striker that you should definitely look towards as the future for this team because he is A, young, and B, in a position that we are definitely in need of. So Ricardo Pepe, you know, what more can you say? Breakout star. Miles Turner's a little bit older, but, you know, most people would have him as, you know, maybe number two, maybe number one. Uh, but he and his Gold Cup performance really cemented him as being a really good option. I would still maybe pick Zach Steffen potentially, but he's a great shot stopper. Two really good goalkeepers is a good problem to have. So Matt Turner is one of them. Miles Robinson had, again, another amazing uh, Gold Cup performance. Every single, I, I really don't remember the last time he had a bad game for the US men's national team. Also beginning to attract some offers from Europe. Center back for uh, uh, Atlanta United scored the winner for the Gold Cup final. Great, great center back to pair with John Brooks in the future, Chris Richards and the like. So great for him. Uh, Musa decided to uh, join the, the USA instead of England or whatever. Pepe also decided to join uh, the USA instead of Mexico. And Yunus Musa in particular, you know, great player for Valencia, a uh, great uh, midfielder uh, alongside Adams and McKenney really adds a lot to that attack as a, a, a real uh, advanced number eight. Chris Richards was on loan to Hoffenheim uh, both last season and this season, and he's played great, really a center back for the future. Pfock, uh plays for young boys in Switzerland, another great striker option, really, really good. Joe Scally is a name that really nobody had uh, on their depth list for fullbacks, but he, even as a teenager for Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga, has really, really been tearing it up uh, pretty positively. So I, I, I'm really glad that uh, we can you know, add him to the list. And I can go on with, with a bunch of other names. Gianluca Busio, a great midfielder uh, prospect. Uh, Daryl DK went on loan to Barnsley and tore it up there. So. Uh, a lot of breakout stars and a lot of young stars that are very, very exciting to watch. 
Uh, Jack, anything to say about the U.S. men's national team at all? Uh, I've got to say, I'm very excited to see PFOC more because I think yes. he is a great player. One of my favorite players, in fact. I think we should also, it might also be worth mentioning Aronson because while he, oh, yeah. he did play before, uh, he really turned up the heat in 2021 and transformed into, I, I think, probably one of our best options to start on the wing at, the, at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, it, the second the, the second that either Gio Reyna or Pulisic are injured or can't play, it's Aronson, it's Weya, it, it's like all these really good young players. And yeah, Brandon Aronson and potentially his brother Paxson Aronson are going to be two very, very good players indeed. I'm sorry if I forgot anyone. I'm sorry if I forgot your favorite player. There's a million USA players out there who are playing really well. So yeah, you know what? Whatever. Let's go from one happy... uh topic to another let's talk about barcelona and other teams struggling jack why don't you uh, uh bask in some schadenfreude and talk about barcelona and some of these other struggling teams yeah well we picked one team that's struggling from each of the major five leagues because there's a lot of them uh barcelona really struggling in la liga this season they haven't been able to hit form really they they've had some good results here and there but just a lot of disappointment overall. And a lot of that comes down to Messi leaving. You know, they, they, they really didn't have anyone geared up to replace him. And I mean, you can't really replace Messi even then. Uh, so that, that's definitely showing in uh, the results recently. You know, they, uh, they are in seventh place, I believe. I, I could be wrong and they could be even further down in the table. Uh, but they note they're in seventh with 28 points after 18 games. Yikes. That's not good. Uh, and, you know, the teams that they're behind as well, Real Valaciano, Real Batis, Sevilla, and Real Sociedad. Like, those aren't good teams to, uh, to hey. be behind if you're Barcelona. Okay. 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 If you're Barcelona, right? Like, it, I'm, not, I'm not to say they're bad teams, but if you're Barcelona, you should be aiming a little bit higher than seventh right. place. Uh, they also got knocked out of the Champions League. That's pretty rough for them. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely struggling quite a bit. Juventus, we've talked about them struggling a little bit here and there. But yeah, they're in fifth place. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, Allegri's back. They're going to be instant title challengers. And then that didn't quite happen. And they are now quite a ways behind in the title race if they want to challenge for that. They are currently at 12 points off of first place. So there would have to be a pretty drastic change in events for things to go their way. They haven't had a terrible season, to their credit. They, they haven't been, like, completely terrible. Like, I, I'd argue Barcelona has been completely terrible pretty much <laughs> at times. Uh, Juventus have had some good runs of form. Like, we also have Dortmund, who have been just really meh. Like, like, just like, like they, they've been all right at times, uh, some good wins here and there, but then drawing against VFL Bochum, uh, losing to Hertha Berlin. That's, that's a true embarrassment right there. Uh, and you know, they, they, they have an excuse at sometimes, you know, missing Holland does hurt them quite a bit, but they should still be doing better than losing to relegation candidates in the Bundesliga. And I, I mean, it, it's, it's really strange because they started out the season decently. Well, 
They didn't have the greatest of defenses, but they were scoring goals for fun. And it, it looked like they actually had a chance to beat Bayern to the title. In fact, in October, I was like, I think this will be a strong title race. <laughs> now, two months later, I don't see how Bayern lose this title race. So yeah. uh, Dortmund have just really faded away significantly. And a lot of it is defensive issues. Uh, Manchester United have to talk about them because uh, if you want a team that is, I, I think they're the team that's regressed potentially the most from last season to this season because they were in second place last season. Now they're in seventh and they are 22 points off top spot. That is awful for them. Like uh, they, a lot of it has to do with OGS being not that great. And I also think Ronaldo plays a pretty significant role in them uh, not playing up to potential, but they're down in seventh place and uh, not looking in the best of form at, at all. Ralph Ragnick's trying to turn them around a little bit, but they barely got past Norwich, a one to zero win over Norwich, uh, as well as a draw against Newcastle, a one zero win over Crystal Palace. Not the most impressive results uh, if you're if you're Manchester United. So. All right. Let's talk about uh, the next topic moving right along and heading back to the United States. Talking about MLS, what happened there. NYCFC win MLS Cup, a one-to-one victory on penalties over the Portland Timbers. Portland Timbers won the West. NYCFC uh, first uh, major uh, title in MLS for a New York City club. So they beat uh, the New York Red Bulls. Uh, even though they came into the league like 19 years after uh, the Red Bulls, uh, they had, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say NYCFC had an easy route to the MLS Cup final, uh, but they did get lucky with an out of form New England Revolution and a pretty COVID hit Philadelphia Union. So it is what it is, but great job to NYCFC, Valentin Castellanos, uh, uh, everyone in that organization and beyond. New England Revolution, however, also uh, played very well. Uh, they won as the Supporter Shield with uh, a record-breaking 73 points to win that Supporter Shield, becoming you know one of the best teams really uh, to uh, get the Supporter Shield and win that in MLS. However, they did lose their very first round that they played in the playoffs, so meh. But Bruce Arena, Tejon Buchanan, uh, Carlos Heal, the MVP, all really, really good players, all really really good uh pieces in this puzzle that made this team really work but this is an mls t- uh season that might not have even happened because uh, as we covered very early on in the podcast mls had a cba uh collective bargaining agreement dispute that really put this season on the edge of not really happening Players wanted to get compensation. They wanted to extend or shorten uh, the CBA in order to get the most money coming out of the 2026 World Cup. Uh, a lot of compensation debates that happened there. Ultimately, it did end up working out. They did sign something, but it meant that the, the league start would have to be pushed back until late April. Speaking of around that time, Columbus Crew also rebranded into their kind of weird logo from their very good circular logo to their weird one we had ori a uh, local reporter of the columbus crew come on to talk about it 
uh, sparked a lot of debate and kind of forced Columbus to walk back on their rebrand. And rebrands are a very common thing in MLS. Chicago Fire had uh, a new, better one come out. Uh, uh, Montreal Impact, or I should say Club de Foot Montreal, had one that... You know, some people aren't fans of. I was kind of okay with, but still, you know, you know, not great. New England uh, Revolution. New England well. Revo- Revolution. I'm actually a fan of that. Some people aren't, uh, and that's fine. Uh, and yeah, Austin FC. I was the last thing I'll, I'll mention. They had their expansion season, finished bottom of the West, but still uh, have a great stadium alongside all the new stadiums in Cincinnati and Columbus, and really have a great fan base. We've had uh, some Austin FC people. Uh, interact with us on twitter we've had uh, uh twin oaks tv on talk about austin fc as well so yeah that's basically what happened in mls a lot of off the field on the field great things happening there so i'm very happy that uh we get to watch it just be a, a really fun and great thing speaking of really fun and great at least for one of us chelsea win the champions league jack do you want to walk us through that and i can walk us through a uh, villarreal winning the europa league Yes, well, let's talk about the Champions League because th- this this was just fantastic. I I'm not a, I'm not at my apartment right now, but usually when I record, I have a framed picture of uh, yes. Chelsea lifting that Champions League trophy with autographs all over it of the players, uh, because it, it was just such a cool feeling. Because I don't think going into this past Champions League season or the the last one. That people were like, yeah, Chelsea is a strong contender, but they they proved everyone wrong. People, they, they got matched with Atletico in the round of 16 and people were like, oh, they're going to get knocked out by Atletico. They're top in La Liga. They're going to crush Chelsea because that time Chelsea were like eighth or ninth in the Premier League. So people were like, oh, easy win for Atletico. Chelsea win that one. Uh, they win it three to zero on aggregate with one of my favorite goals of all time at this point. Uh, Olivier Giroud's overhead bicycle kick got me a, vi- a semi-viral TikTok as well. That, that one uh, <laughs> that, that did. So uh, that, that was kind of nice, uh, but just overall a great performance there. Then Chelsea, uh, Chelsea went against Porto. Uh, Chelsea win two to two to one uh, on, uh, on aggregate against that uh, against, uh, against Porto. And uh People were starting to believe at that time. Chelsea fans were starting to believe a little bit. And then they got matched up against Real Madrid. And people were like, well, okay, nice run for Chelsea, but it's over now. Real Madrid, they've got this. Uh, they, they've, won, they've won the Champions League three out of the last five years or whatever. Yeah. It's over. But no, Chelsea still win that one. Uh, Christian, Christian Pulisic, Pul- Christian Pulisic really turned up in this one. He got a goal and an assist in, in the two legs. Uh, really well taken goal too. Like he took out the entire uh, Real Madrid defense and just dribbled around them with ease, and then just shot it into the top corner. It was it was a beautiful goal, really, and uh, got that assist uh, with for Mason Mount to score a goal as well. Really, really good moment. And Chelsea were on their way to the final against Manchester City. At which point, people were like, "All right, it's over now. Manchester City are going to win the Champions League." They're finally going to get it after spending a billion dollars. Uh, Chelsea can't do it. And then they win one to zero against Manchester City to be the champions of Europe. Kaya Havertz uh, latches onto a pass from Mason Mount, runs in between the defense, hops over Ederson and slots away the, the goal. 
justifying the 90 million pound price tag for me. I, I don't know. Uh, or, <laughs> or 90 million dollars, not 90 million pounds. But either way, justifies that, wins the Champions League for Chelsea, uh, cements himself really kind of as a Chelsea legend. I, it doesn't matter what he does in the rest of his Chelsea career because he won them the Chan- Champions League. That's that's what matters. Uh, and, you know, Chelsea showed that this team was a lot better than people thought that they could be. Uh, and it just shows how much of an issue Frank Lampard was at the beginning of the season, I guess. Uh, but still, very impressive performance. Made me very happy. <laughs> uh, and, of course, then they went on to win the Super Cup. Uh, in Like, later, later in August, that was. So, two European trophies. Pretty happy about that. But, AJ, why don't you cover... Who Chelsea beat for the Super Cup, uh, but who also had a very impressive uh, little run in Europe. Yeah, Villarreal uh, won the UEFA Europa League uh, thanks to some pretty good performances from them. They won their group, Group I, above the likes of uh, Maccabi, Tel Aviv, uh, Sivaspor, and Korabag. Not the most uh, hard-hitting teams, but still. No, that, that's yeah. a stacked group. That's a stacked group. <laughs> stacked, yeah. when, I, when, when I think about uh, European powerhouse, I think about, uh, what is that, Azerbaijani uh, club Korobag. Yeah, yep, Korobag, yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. But the, the knockout rounds uh, looked a lot more impressive. They beat Red Bull uh, Salzburg, uh, then Dynamo Kiev, then Dynamo Zagreb, and then Arsenal to reach the final. And so that's a pretty good a repertoire of teams that they beat united on the other side i'm looking at this on wikipedia uh they got third place in uh champions league they uh, bowed out of that competition into europa league they had to beat real sociedad milan granada and roma to reach the final uh not not as easy as villarreal but as it turns out villarreal were able to do the job against manchester united it was one to one uh going into penalties thanks to a pretty good gerard goal from villarreal Cavani scored for Manchester United. So it went to penalties. Uh, some of the best taken penalties that I've ever seen from both sides in a game ever. Uh, it went all the way to the goalkeeper uh, for, for these two teams. Uh, Ruli, Villarreal's goalkeeper, was able to put one against De Gea. And as it turns out, it looks like, it looks like everyone in United needs to be practicing their penalties because De Gea <laughs> let United down, missed it costing uh, United the title. Villarreal win their first ever uh, major European trophy, 11-10 to 10 on penalties, and what a moment that was. Uh, Unai Emery, their head coach, wins his fourth uh, UEFA Europa League. Really good. Previously won it with a Sevilla, so very, very good from him. Really, really deserved it. Uh, and yeah, De Gea can't score. I guess that's the major takeaway uh, from there. A pretty happy moment for uh, the yellow submarine there. So we go on to another happy moment. Messi winning a seventh ball on door. I should say this might be happy for some people. And a lot of people might be mad. Might be mad at that. Particularly Lewandowski and Lewandowski fans. Shaq, Messi's seventh ball on door. Why don't you walk us through some of the controversy there? Yeah, well, uh, before Messi was announced as the winner of the Ballon d'Or, uh, they called Robert Lewandowski up on the stage to give him this new... Striker of the Year Award, which looked like a cardboard plate. Uh, it, it looked like maybe they, they ran out of uh, or maybe they had like the kids make an arts and crafts uh, run 
You know, they painted a little a, a little plate gold and gave it to him and said, here's your award. And uh, I, I feel I can't help but feel a little bad for him because he definitely deserved it in 2020. The Ballon d'Or, Robert Lewandowski won the Champions League, won the Bundesliga, won pretty much everything there is to win uh, at the club level and scored a ton of goals as well. Uh, and then he topped that in 2021 by breaking the goal scoring record in the Bundesliga uh, by scoring 41 goals mm-hmm. in a single season. Like he had an incredible two years, but unfortunately Messi's achievements shown just a little bit brighter at the international level. And as the Ballon d'Or is like an individual award, he, he had some impressive individual awards too. A lot of goals, a lot of assists uh, from Messi in the past season, kind of carrying a just kind of dead Barcelona team. Uh, <laughs> like we, we've literally seen just a lifeless husk of Barcelona, it feels like, since he left. He was carrying that team. Uh, and of course, in Arge- uh, for Argentina, winning the Copa America, getting player of the tournament, most goals, most assists. Uh, I mean... <laughs> He, he was very impressive this year. It, it, it's interesting because I, I, you could make a case for either of these two winning the Ballon d'Or, really. Uh, I think, though, the, the, just the achievement of the Copa America just carries Messi over the line just barely uh, because Bayern winning the Bundesliga feels less impressive than Argentina winning the Copa America in Brazil. Okay. I think I think I think I tend to agree. Yeah. I, I think that's the big thing. Like, uh, Bayern winning the Bundesliga at this point in time is more of an expectation, but mm-hmm. Argentina winning the Copa America against Brazil in Brazil—that's a huge challenge. Yeah. I mean, I I tend to agree that it should have been um, Messi. I know a lot of people will be like, "What else does Lewandowski have to do to win the award?" Because outside of literally forcing Poland. <laughs> to win the, the Euro tournament, there's not much else he could have done. So I don't know, but, but you know, it, it, it's really subjective. It, the votes were also very, very close. So, you know, not much to really say there. Messi, good job. I'm sure you don't need to hear that from me. <laughs> so the final three topics that we have uh, are, you know, on, on the more serious side, something that we, we need to talk about. And uh, we actually asked on Twitter for some suggestions on topics. So these are topics that a lot of people want to hear. Starting off with uh, some sports washing, we had uh, Jordan uh, ask us to cover this a little bit. Uh, He basically said, there's a a new news story that the Qatar World Cup just doesn't have enough hotel rooms to accommodate uh, everyone. And that's kind of a a sign of the times in terms of the Qatar World Cup. Uh, Another recent news story is that there is growing resentment out of the European uh, contingent of footballing nations. And they want to have a vote saying that no, there, there could be no country uh, like Qatar to host the World Cup. Like, you can't show that you're ill-prepared and uh, like Qatar. And, you know, that's a big deal because as we've covered before in our sports washing episode, you know, this Qatar World Cup has a lot of blights on it. Migrant workers were found to be living in unsuitable conditions and were withheld from their wages and despite the promises of labor reforms, many watchdog groups have concluded that the daily lives of these migrant workers have not really improved. I think the current total for migrant workers that have died building the infrastructure for this 2022 World Cup 
2021 has reached to 7,000. That's not, I shouldn't say in 2021, like by 2021, 7,000 have died in total. And this has uh, caused a, a lot of uproar. And it's not just the fact that, you know, they're using literal slave labor. It's the fact that this World Cup as a whole is very ill-prepared to go on. They had to move it from summer to December because it's too hot in Qatar. Like I mentioned before, they had to uh, build all these hotels. They still don't have hotel rooms. They had to, you know, completely uh, build new stadiums, build new cities, new infrastructure, which has been costly, probably bad for the environment. And as, you know, I alluded to before, pretty bad for the slave labor that they are using. So much so that... Amnesty International and other human rights groups have called for the relocation or boycotting of the World Cup. Norway is looking to potentially be boycotting. 65% of German football fans want a boycott. It's, uh, it, it's, it's not great. And the sports washing, the idea that uh, these terrible, terrible countries with bad human rights records are buying or leading uh, different uh, clubs or events like the Qatar World Cup in hopes that they could potentially, you know, make themselves look like a, a better country organization than they are, is something that we are seeing even continuing in the Premier League. We have, you know, not to call your club out, but, you know, the likes of Chelsea, Manchester City, PSG, who are known for being products of sports washing at the club level. Well, that's continuing with Newcastle. Newcastle got bought by a Saudi Arabian consortium in 2021. And that has caused a, a lot of uproar because Saudi Arabia, I mean, I'm, I don't need to be the one to tell you this, but Saudi Arabia does not have a great rights record in general. And uh, yeah, th th this has rightfully so caused a lot of criticism to be levied against the Premier League for allowing this and Newcastle United for uh, accepting them as the new owners. And even though they have promised ambition for the club and and investment in the local Newcastle communities, it's still a huge cause for concern in terms of what it means for the potential positive PR movement that's going to be going towards Newcastle and their Saudi Arabian owners and you know, with the Qatar World Cup towards Qatar. And yeah, that's where we are in 2021 with sports washing. Jack, anything else to, to say about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a massive problem. And I do think it is funny, though, that um, Newcastle look ever more likely to get relegated every single day. I uh, hope so. So that, that would be the funniest thing, I think. Uh, ultimate act of karma, really, uh, to, to Saudi Arabia. Because, yeah, it's, it's wild. Because just a year ago, the Premier League was like, you have a bad human rights record. You can't buy Newcastle. And now, all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. And it's almost like they used all of the goodwill that they gained from the Super League stuff to go ahead and uh, allow this because they know it gets them money and they like money. Uh, so yes. that that's the big driver of things, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I it's also about the Qatar World Cup they're, they They've got to do better with that because just the not uh, this. This is has been fraught, wrought with uh, bad circumstances since the beginning really like uh mm -hmm. the whole reason why qatar is even hosting is because of alleged allegedly I, I should say allegedly because of a meeting uh between michelle platini 
and uh, the president of France at the side at the time, Sarkozy and uh, the FIFA president, Sepp Blatter or and and uh, the Qatar, uh, the Qatari, uh, I, I don't uh, the leader of, of Qatar to basically getting Platini, who was the UEFA head at the time, to vote for Qatar to to hold the World Cup so that there, there's a lot of complex geopolitics involved in it. But basically, yeah. uh, they Qatar was was forcing them to do that because the president of France needed a new trade deal with it to help his reelection happening in 2011. Just a lot of stuff was happening with it. So, um, you know, it's it's wild that 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 intersected so much with it. But that that's old news, really, that part. What mm-hmm. is still relevant news is that Qatar is not a great place to be holding the World Cup. Uh, Absolutely. And while I'd like to say FIFA should do better, we all know they won't, uh, unfortunately, because right. FIFA is run by money. Whoever has the money gets what they want. Yeah, that's the unfortunate reality, I think. Right. And hopefully that changes and we can call on them to be better. But that's a that's a fight that will be probably going on well past our lifetimes. Uh, let's move on to some more important things to cover from the 2021 year in review, which is Christian Eriksen and Sergio Aguero both uh, facing their own uh, set of heart problems and how that's kind of readjusted our lens on player health. Jack, do you want to talk about uh, a little bit about that uh, more? Yeah, well, in the first game of the Euros in the group stage, we saw in the 42nd minute Christian Eriksen collapsing to the ground completely away from the ball uh, in the match between Denmark and Finland. And, you know, uh, he, he went down because of a cardiac arrest. And uh, luckily, the players built a, a human barrier around him so that the, which brings up an even bigger issue about the media's role in, in all of this. But uh, basically helped save his life. Simon Kerr. Uh, actually got an award for helping to make sure that Christian Eriksen didn't swallow his own tongue and choke to death while he was unconscious Uh, and getting the paramedics over to help uh, to help him up, get him stabilized, get him to a hospital. Christian Eriksen was okay at the end of of everything, but uh, there were a lot of other things that that went wrong after this. You know, UEFA making them play just two hours later after all of this had happened. Uh, Denmark would go on to lose that game, which, you know, if you saw someone nearly die that was on your team in front of you. Oh, he, he did actually uh, die yeah, for a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you see that, you're not going to be in the right state of mind to be playing in a competitive match two, like, two hours later. Uh, you might not even be in the, sa- the right place of mind to be playing that match two days later. Like, you know, it, it's, it, 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 it's kind of insensitive, I think, that part, uh, the handling. And talking about insensitivity with this, the media, oh my gosh, that, that I don't think you could handle it worse. Uh, they didn't try and cut away when they realized a serious injury had happened. They tried to zoom in and get be- and like fit, get between the human shield and try it and try and get like up close coverage of it, which is just awful. Like that, that's a traumatic event. You you don't try and you you don't try and do that. I remember I was talking to one a family friend who's studying like sports medicine and stuff like that is like, yeah, if a player goes down like that, 
you don't you you tell the media to cut the cameras you don't you, mm-hmm. you're not and that was just really bad and uh you know they they there was a lot of condemnation by fans afterwards saying that's not right what you what the media was doing uh and you know it but the the big thing afterwards is he was okay and it also led to all stadiums being equipped with uh with you know i i can't think of the word the word right now a uh, defibrillators that that's what that's yes what so yeah uh in in those stadiums so that this could uh this could help others and it actually did help uh it helped it helped two fans this past year in the premier league in a game between tottenham and newcastle a fan's life was saved because those defibrillators were easily accessible in a game between chelsea and watford same thing happened those fans are alive and safe because of, of because the the community the footballing community took a bigger emphasis on helping to stop and well maybe not prevent but or at least help treat cardiac arrest when it happens. So I think I think that's that it it sucks what happened to Christian Eriksen. It also uh, Inter Milan have terminated his contract as well. So he is no at this point in time not currently playing professionally. Uh, and there's questions over whether he'll be able to continue playing professionally. Uh mm-hmm. but it like um he his that that helped uh save lives of other people and of course, we have Sergio Aguero as well, who had to be substituted off in a game against, uh, I can't remember exactly who, but for Barcelona, just two months after transferring, uh, he was out He was out of the team, and he was found to have uh, an irregular heartbeat, basically, or some form of arrhythmia. And because of that, it looks like, well, I mean, not it looks like, he's not going to be playing professionally again. He retired from from football in general uh just this past month so you know it, it it shows that the football soccer community it's taking a bigger look at those kinds of health risks and kind of assessing it differently than they they might have assessed it you know just a few years ago so i think that's somewhat of a positive change in in that but of course with more and more games being played in quicker su- succession more and more competitions being added. There's always going to be more and more concerns over player health uh, that need to be addressed. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've seen the likes of Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel criticize the Premier League for having a festive fixture list, which is only allowing for at most four to eight hours of rest, which is not enough for the regular starters or even the bench players who have to play uh, in quick succession. I think that moving towards prioritizing player health whether it be for these heart conditions or just muscle injuries is going to be a trend that is kind of starting in 2021 really gathering up steam gathering fan support uh, especially from people like us we we talk about that all the time and really moving forward in 2022 so i think that's a something that's very important to keep in mind and that brings us to our final item on this list and probably one of the most important uh i'm not gonna say all other ones aren't important but one of the more closer to home ones that requires a a a lot of thought and appreciation uh in 2021 uh washington spirit won the nwsl championship but that was probably overshadowed by the immense immense 
drama and terrible things that have happened in the background in the NWSL. Uh, we've had the likes of Richie Burke uh, and Paul Riley gets uh, kind of shunned out of uh, their perspective NWSL teams. Richie Burke and the Washington Spirit, who you know did win the the, the league, uh, got hit with an abuse case, uh, and and that that was uh, expounded on uh, through uh, an athletic article and really kind of showed how how terrible he was as a head coach to some very vulnerable people on his team, bearing being very uh, abusive in pretty much every sense of the word. Steve Baldwin stepped down as CEO and managing partner of the Spirit, but retained ownership of the Spirit, refusing to sell, even though a lot of people wanted him to sell. And this has led to Washington Spirit players speaking out against him. And that's kind of one of the larger narratives coming out of 2021 is that even though NWSL players should not have needed to be called upon to bring change, to bring awareness to this and be activists in their own right, as well as being players, they did step up. And that's something that we need to be appreciative of because it it's easy for us fans to be activists, but for players to take the time, take the care to also push for change within their own organizations, that takes a lot of courage. And this has led to an investigation into the Washington spirit, which found that the club violated several NWSL workplace and anti-harassment policies. And it's not just the spirit. We've had the North Carolina Courage uh, firing Paul Riley uh, for, you know, a, a, a lot of bad stuff as well, a lot of a, a abuse there too. But they've excused themselves from any fault, saying that they didn't know about the accusations. And this has been, you know, a, a, a pretty... Uh, depressing time to be an NWSL fan because, you know, Paul Riley at the time was head coach of the Portland Thorns and uh, the Thorns front office have yet to really have any action there with Paulson, uh, their owner, you know, they want, they want them, they want him gone. And the Thorns have not done enough in a lot of people's eyes to really step up to this. And, Commissioner Lisa Baird of the NWSL has also stepped down after getting called out by Alex Morgan for lying about being shocked and disgusted by a lot of these new allegations that have come out uh, during this time, proving that the league knew about it but didn't act on these allegations. A, a, a lot of dark stuff, and it's it. I can go on. It, the Chicago uh, Red Stars, their former head coach, was also outed for uh, being abusive. Uh, the North Carolina Courage have just brought back a player who is actively homophobic, actively transphobic, has literally went out and said that uh, th all of those actions, all of the LGBT community are sinning, are bad, even though a lot of her former U.S. Women's National Team and NWSL uh, teammates were identifying as a part of the, that community. And so all across the league, and I, I could... I could literally go on and talk about so many different teams, whether it be Gotham SC or uh, Louisville, who have at some form or another had some sort of controversy, uh, whether it dealt with power dynamics or workplace uh, toxicity or just 
some unexplained business that we still don't know the answer to and it's really shady and not transparent at all like nw cell for this season yes some of the on the field product has been entertaining but as a whole it's been a very dark season in terms of all the things that have come out and it's good that it's coming out because it's better to work towards a path of justice than to stay in i don't know blissful ignorance about this stuff but it's required a lot of activism from fans from the players unfortunately and well really it's unfortunate for everybody but it's required a lot of work and a lot of uh a lot of activism to be done from the likes of the players association so 2021 kind of sucky understatement of the year for the nfl but hopefully 2022 can bring something brighter jack what do you have to say about our final topic and yeah, well i i thought a lot of the games this season were really fun to watch but it's also tough to watch it when you think about all of this stuff that's happening in the background right or actually more in the foreground as it should be like you were saying yeah. um i i'm i'm glad it's being talked about it sucks though that the players had to come forward with this because from what it from a constant thread throughout most of these stories have been the players told someone higher up in the organization about it and nothing got done about it. And I, I've said this several times, but a league that is about empowering women who play soccer should not be this bad at protecting women. It, it, it shouldn't. Right. Uh, just it, it's it, it's awful. Uh, it, it, it's it's just awful to see all of the stuff that has been happening in this league. You, you hear you read some of these stories and you and you hear some of them. And it's just heartbreaking uh, that that some of the things that these that these people have had to go through and the fact that some of it doesn't even seem to be changing isn't that good <laughs> or just isn't good at all. Uh, it, so I'm I'm really hoping for 2022 that the NWSL actively tries to make changes, better oversight in reporting, uh, making sure it actually does something. Uh, rebuilding trust with the players because I I think there's got to be a lot of trust that needs to be rebuilt uh, if they want any hope of really succeeding and you, you've got to just clear out all of those toxic people really you, you have to you've got to do a full a full clean out of it because as long as some of those people remain the problems remain with them uh, so I, I think that mm -hmm. there's got to be a lot of changes that get done uh, we, we both support all of the NWSL players in, in who have come forward with all of these allegations of abuse and misconduct by, by, uh, coaching staff, by administrative staff. Uh, you all deserve to be heard. And I'm, I'm glad that you are being heard uh, at least to some extent. Uh, even, even I, and I, I, I mean, I hope that it creates change in the future because we 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 need it we we need people speaking up to make a change because without that system just keeps getting worse so i uh, keep speaking up and keep demanding change because yeah they're they're the heroes they're they're i i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to go out and name the nwsl players that came forward as uh our 
we we didn't plan this out. Honorary heroes of 2021. That that's what I'll, I'll say right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's let's give it to all all of the activists in the NW cell in uh, uh all of the leagues as well as the the medical team that helped save Christian Erickson's life. Like we saved these last three topics to the end because you know when we look back in 2021, it's really cool to talk about the fun on the field stuff, all the wins, all of how uh players got traded. U.S. men's national team uh, won stuff. The Super League was like a, kind of like a funny thing. But then there's also things outside of the soccer world that do get affected by uh, the events within it, but go much, much beyond that. And we talk about player health. And when we talk about sports washing and uh, slave labor and sexual and coercive actions, it's... It, it, it's not really fair to lump that in with all the other things that have happened this year because really it's something something bigger. And that's something that I, I think I'm proud that Jack and I have done as much as we could to make sure that we talk about this, dedicating entire episodes and just talking about this because this this is why soccer is important is because it brings us together. And if there's things that that tear us apart and are really negative externalities due to soccer being played or due to something in the soccer world happening, then that's something that I think as we as plugged in fans need to have a really a moral obligation to stand up to. So, yeah, I mean, that is 2021 in review in the lens of the soccer world. Jack, do you have anything else to well, really cover here? Like like in the entire world, 2021 was a mixed bag. Uh in in uh, like uh yeah. soccer was no excuse to that. There there were some really good things. Uh you know, AJ we didn't even mention West Ham making it into the Europa League, uh which I know you were really happy about. Yeah. Uh but there were also some bad things, both on the field and off the field. And uh you know, we we know we can't uh, we can't get rid of all the bad things entirely. That That's not something that's really realistic. But we hope that, you know, reflecting on this past year and looking at both the good and the bad uh, reminds us how we can go forward in 2022 and make the soccer community a, a, a more positive place for everyone. And, uh, you know, truly show why we all follow the beautiful game. Yes, that's a very beautiful way to end it, Jack. And I think that is how we should be ending it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Uh, we will be back in 2022, better than ever, really going to hone in on this podcast. Thank you for listening to us thus far. It's been a great, great year. We started right at the beginning of this year, pretty much as a New Year's resolution. And we have continued pretty much every single week since then. So thank you for being on this ride jack anything say to the listeners and where can they find us on again social media? thank you all for listening to us this past year it's been great uh if you want to find out more content that we publish look at our twitter at final third show uh we we put out prediction games on there we put out takes on games and uh about player transfers player news uh anything anything on there that might be related to soccer odds are you'll find an opinion on it and, uh, you know, check out yeah. 
Also, our Instagram, which we'll hopefully be trying to use more in the new year. That's that's a bit of a resolution that we're going to try and keep this this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's final third show on Twitter. Uh, we we've used it a little bit in the past, but we're hoping to use it a little bit more effectively. Yeah. So we'll be back. Uh, Don't if, worry. if uh, Twitter's not your thing, we've got Instagram for you to check out as well. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I've got to say. All right. And also follow us and give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Spotify, you can leave a rating. So go ahead and do that. Apple Podcasts, you always could. So do that as well. And yeah, tell your friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love to reflect on a very eventful 2021. We'll see you guys next year on, on Monday for our news and prediction episode. And we'll see you guys same time, same place next year for our AFCON preview deep dive. Same time, same place. Yes. All right. Bye for now. See ya.